Hello everyone. <laughs> Hello, my name's Laura and welcome to the Social Sciences Lecture Theatre, but don't worry, we're not actually here for a Social Sciences Lecture. <laughs> we're here for the second talk in the What's Your Motto series. <laughs> so this talk today is going to be on identity, um, the motto, be yourself no matter what anyone else thinks. And we have Andrew Page, who's going to be our speaker for today. Um, so, at the end, there's going to be time for some questions. So, throughout the talk, if you think of any questions, maybe just jot them down and save them for the end. And if we don't get time for questions, then um, we'll be ho hopefully hanging around outside. So, just ask someone who maybe brought you here or someone wearing a What's Your Motto shirt. Um, so, let me introduce the speaker for today. This is Andrew Page. Um, He's a professor of psychology at UWA and he's done a lot of work and research in mental health. Um, so, what, would you like to give us a little bit of information about yourself? Um, what do you do with your time? <laughs> um, yeah, well, what I do when I'm not at work is um, have a wife, three children, um, who have uh, the children at various points have passed through um, see you, so some of you may know them. They don't look like me, the boys at least. They've all got hair. Um, so people go, how are you related? <laughs> They'll just say, I just say their hair's going to fall out. Um, and when I'm not at uni or at church, I like um, to be out on my bike road. I'm one of these sort of middle-aged men in lycra. Um, and... As if you've seen the video, um, I like trying to do um, um, I'm trying to do cryptic crosswords. My aim is to complete the Times cryptic crossword, and when I can do that, I'm going to retire. <laughs> so I think it's going to be a long time till I retire. <laughs> wow, um, that's some great goals. Um, so, is there one thing that you really love about living in Perth? Um, the um, good psychopaths. Mm. <laughs> what about um, something that you, you wish you could change about Perth? Okay. If, if there was one thing I'd change about Perth... Oh, just, um, can you put up your hand if you live north of the river? Okay. Now put up your hand if you live south of the river. Now, so that, that's everybody here in some point. Good. Um, so I think... Perth should finally make up its mind. We should either fill in the Swan River and agree we're Perth, or just remove all of, uh, like, remove the Narrows Bridge, all of the others, and just south and north should just make all of our <laughs> It should just, just do one or the other. So that would be what I'd like to change. Um, great. Um, ambitious. <laughs> very ambitious. Um, well, I guess that just leaves us with why did you decide to talk about identity today? Um, one, I was asked. Um, the, the, um, the other is, when I was asked about it, I thought, gosh, I've, I've got nothing I can contribute to this. Because thinking from, as, as a lecturer in psychology, what, what have I got to say about this? And... And in part, one of the things that's always intrigued me is, as a psychologist and a Christian, the first question I always get is, how do you reconcile 
Christianity with psychology. And I've never struggled with it as much as it seems other people think I should. And I suppose I've always thought, well, science is trying to understand the way the world is, and Christianity explains the way the world is. So if science and Christianity aren't reconciled yet, well, that doesn't matter, because science will eventually get around there. And so, in part, what I'll talk about with identity are some of the issues that I've seen in psychology and link it to how I think it, it can help us lead into understanding what Jesus has to say to us. But I also cling loosely to the science because future science may change that. And so when we get to the Q&A, you can ask me questions and tell me I'm wrong and whatever, and that would be fun too. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Um, I'm going to hand over to Andrew. Good, thank you. How's that? Can you hear me better? Now, we'll all have seen um, one of um, the Disney films. They're all very different and they're all the same. They're all the same because they all end in essentially the same place with this moral of, of you can express as be yourself no matter what anyone else thinks. So if you see The Lion King, we get, look inside yourself, Simba, you are more than what you have um, become. So this idea, he needs to look inside to understand his true self. Mulan, because love is the same, true to your heart you must be, oh that sounds like Yoda to me. Um, <laughs> and your heart, can tell you, uh, your heart can tell you um, no lies. So this idea that uh, look inside yourself, you'll find truth. And of course, um, I won't say my favourite movie of all time. Um, if I was younger, maybe. But um, Frozen, with the, the song um, Let It Go, and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. So this idea of just look inside, you'll find yourself, I can, it really doesn't matter what you think, I can find the truth within me and I just have to be true to that self. Now, if you think about that, which will always spoil the movie. So just when you're watching the movie, just enjoy the movie. But if we, if, if we step outside and reflect on this, there are a few assumptions. First two, I'm not going to talk about, but that it's this idea that you are what you feel. There's this identity um, with our feelings, and you should embrace what you feel no matter what others say. There's um, a reference here. I'll leave the slides or the slides with... The organisers, so you can get any references in it, you don't have to write them down um, if you want to read about those. What I'd like to talk to you about from the perspective of a, um, of a um, psychologist is 
that if you want to be true to yourself, the assumption is that the self is knowable. And to say that, we're implying that we understand the, the true causes of our behaviour. So we must know what causes us to act in a way. We must be able to make some processing about that and make some choices. And so we have to understand our, tr our, our, true, our true motivations. So in order to be true to yourself, you have to know yourself. Seems reasonable. Is it true? I mean, does it talk about illusions? Because as a psychologist, we have to talk about visual illusions. We always do. Um, and you will have seen visual illusions like this within A, the um, central dots are the same size, even though one looks, small, looks smaller than the other. In C, those two central rectangulars, uh, uh, rectangles are actually unperpendicular, or in a, a line, even though they don't look like it. And the classic one at the end with the um, two-headed arrows, where the um, central lines are the same. So if we remove them, you can see that they are. So there are illusions, but one of the things I want to suggest to you is, can you not see the illusion? I've just, I've shown you. Whoops. There, they're the same size. Now with the arrows, you can't not see it. You know that they're the same size, but it's hard to unsee that illusion. Or, to say this differently, let's say I've changed one of these illusions. Which one did I change? Did I make the um, um, central circles larger, smaller? Did I change the angles of one? Did I change? I'll leave you to puzzle over it. Any of you who know me will know, could he be bothered actually changing any of them? <laughs> I didn't change any of them. But had I, we wouldn't know it. It's hard to see. So, and there's another thing is about blind spots. You won't be able to do this, but we've, I'm sure you've, you've all done this at home where you have, um, you close one eye, hold your fixation on the cross, bring the, um, the um, image closer to you and um, that black dot will at some point um, disappear because we have a blind spot. And the blind spots exist for a really good reason in the centre of the optic nerve. There aren't any receptors and so there's a bit that you can't see. Yet interestingly we can't see that we have a blind spot. You look around and you're all there. So even though I have a blind spot I can't see that I've had a blind spot, which is, I guess, why they're called blind spots. So what if we had a mental blind spot? What if there were things about ourselves that we couldn't see? How would we know that we couldn't see them? Nisbet and Wilson, in 1977, wrote what I think is one of the best um, articles in, um, in um, psychology. 
If you're studying psychology, I'd recommend reading it because it's just a really good example of how to structure a psychological argument. And it's well written, so it's, um, it's a good fun to read. And their paper was about telling more than we can know. And so I want to take you through this and then consider what some of the implications are about um, being true to ourselves. And the conclusions that they come to are these. Two things. Firstly, that we do not have access to our mental processes, just our mental products. So, if I asked you, which course are you studying, you would answer that question. You would say, I'm studying science or arts or whatever. And if I said, and Nisbet Wilson would say, yes, you can know that. That is a mental product. If I asked you, why did you choose the course that you did? You would also give an answer to that question. You'd say, oh, because I did this, or I thought this, or I want to do this, or whatever. What Nisbet and Wilson say is, actually, you don't have access to those processes whereby you made that decision. You just know that you did make a decision. But, they say, our explanations of our mental processes are post hoc. We make them up after the event. And... Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. But they say you can learn these, as we'll come through, so it's not that you're always wrong, it's just that you don't have the introspective access that you think you have. In other words, there's a cognitive blind spot. Let me give you an example. Um, or, um, let's think about um, organ donation. It's really important. In 2018, there were nearly 11,000 Australians who derived um, um, some benefit from eye and other uh, tissue donations. It's really important. And if I was to survey you, we'd find that the majority of Australians around two-thirds of you, um, are willing to, um, to um, donate your organs or tissues when you die. So expecting you'll be like all other Australians, about two-thirds of you would say, yeah, I'll be happy to do that. So let me just ask you to reflect for a moment. Just think for yourself, if you're an organ donor... Or if you're not, why? Why have you made the choice that you have? If we look across, this is um, a survey of a number of um, European countries, You can see that the rates of organ donation across these different countries are quite different. And so presumably, 
the people have all made some sort of choice about what they are doing. And we can look at countries like um, Germany um, and um, the Netherlands and say, I wonder in what way those people are different to Hungary, France, Austria, where the um, rates of consent are much higher. And we could come up with all the explanations. We can go and interview them and ask people, and what Nisbet Wilson is saying, those people would give you answers. We can ignore the United Kingdom because who knows where they fit in Europe, and I think at the moment they don't even know where they fit in Europe. Um, but the explanation is more straightforward. All of the um, countries in blue have an opt-out system. Everyone's an organ donor unless you choose not to be. All the ones in yellow are an opt-in system. So if we look at that, we can say, well, what, like if we, what Nisbet Wilson said, if you went and asked those people, none of them would say, ah, oh, it's because I happen to live in a country that has an opt-in or an opt-out system. We come on to, we aren't necessarily aware of what's controlling our behaviour. So, now if I said to you, have a guess where our rates of organ donation in Western Australia are. Are we an opt-out system or opt-in? Opt? You were all confident. Yeah, so we opt-in, so where are we? Exactly where you'd expect. Let me give you an, an, another example. This is an, um, a, um, an old one, 1931, the two-string problem where you get strings and you ask the person to um, try um, to bring these two strings um, together, but they're too far apart. And there are a number of... Um, so the people sit there trying to solve it, and what you have to do is work out that um, if you get some of the tools, you can tie one to one, create um, a pendulum, and then you can catch them and tie them together. What we know is if... As an experimenter, you stand in the room with a weight on a piece of string and sort of stand there idly swinging it, people solve the problem faster. <laughs> on the other hand, if you stand there with a, um, a weight on a piece of string and you just twirl it, they don't solve it any faster. But the interesting thing is, even though we know that to be the case, when the researchers went and asked people, how did you solve the problem? They came up with all these explanations, but they didn't make reference to that you were standing there swinging um, this pendulum. The, probably the very best was a professor of psychology, um, because they know everything, um, just said, well, I was looking at the problem, and I was going through all of these solutions in my mind, and suddenly, Images of apes swinging through the trees. <laughs> and that was how insight came to me. So it was a flash of insight. And so, completely clueless. In fact, you've, you found people in the condition where the, the experimenter twirled the string going, oh, 
I saw you twirling the string, and all of a sudden that, that was what triggered me to solve it. So it seems we're not always aware of the stimuli that are controlling our behaviour. Sorry, I've done that one. This is um, another one. If you have lots more of these examples, there's thousands of them. Um, that's a um, fun um, YouTube there. But this is one. If you've ever bought a mobile phone, you'll have been influenced by this. If I gave you two choices, a subscription to um, some um, magazine that you want to subscribe a subscription to, and you can either have the, uh, um, the um, digital version or a print plus the digital. And it's 125 um, if you get the combined, or a um, 59 for the online version. So hands up. Who would go for the online one? Yeah, most of you. Because it's the cheap. It's good. And that's exactly what they found. 68% um, 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 of students would choose this one, and the um, company would make about $8,000. Now, exactly the same. Imagine you were offered a print version, old-fashioned, nobody wants anymore, for $125. Anyone choose that one? No, okay, so, but it's an option we don't want, we don't care about. It's completely irrelevant to the, um, that, that decision which we've just made, right? Now, now looking at these, now you have to imagine you haven't seen the previous one, which ones would you choose? Suddenly the middle one's bargain, right? Even though it's something that you don't want, it influences um, our choices, and so the companies make $3,000 more from this. Which is why, if you go on any apps uh, choosing a phone, you'll find three phones. And you'll be going, oh, that, that's a ridiculous one. What do I want that for? Sometimes there's more than one decoy, sometimes there's two. Very clever, but... The thing is, we make these, we think we're making our choice. And we can rationalise it. Oh, this is cheaper, this is bargain, more effective. But our behaviour is being influenced by factors. Another one is changes in the way we think. This is, these ones are a bit more abstract. This one, I think, comes closer to me where I feel more uncomfortable. I think, I couldn't imagine this happening to me. But on this... This was a really old study, but it's, let's imagine it was about an issue, something like um, um, to do with climate change. And so a group of students are asked what their opinions are about climate change and um, um, fossil fuel, um, the use of um, fossil fuels, let's say. And some of you will be pro um, coal mining and others will be anti. So what they did is they then um, split them into the groups of either pro the that topic, or anti, and then they brought a confederate in who was armed with a series of very persuasive arguments to shift your opinion. And those confederates were successful in shifting the opinions, because then they asked them afterwards, you know, well, what are your opinions now? 
They weren't really interested in all of that. What they were especially interested in, what people remembered about the whole process of their attitudes changing. And they found the original anti-group, they remembered back to what their previous position was, but they'd forgotten how anti they were, and they remembered themselves as being more pro than they were. And in fact, they had a complete reversal with the pro group, like um, who were um, pro, um, um, who, um, for example, might have been pro coal mining, now have been convinced otherwise, and you say, what did your view used to be? They said, oh, I've always been anti. So they'd forgotten what they were. And all of, the, all, of, all of the people, no matter which group they were in, thought that the process hadn't changed their views. And they felt that it had just confirmed what they'd already thought. So it seemed that people were unaware that their behavioural thoughts may have been changed. They had trouble identifying when change has occurred, even when they're aware of what that manipulation, because they were aware of They were involved in that conversation. And most of the individuals can't connect change in behavioural thought with that manipulation. But, as Nisbet Wilson says, we do come up with explanations that they believe to be true. And how, how do we do that? Is what I'll come to in just a moment. But let's just think through, if Nisbet Wilson are correct, then how can we be true to ourselves if we don't have full awareness of ourselves? Well, one way we can know is through observing. Like, we can, like, I know that I'm a shy person. How do I know that? I didn't come with a label that says this is what you are, but I observe myself in social interactions. And when there's a social interaction, I tend to stand back like this and don't say very much, and I think, oh, that's what shy people do. So I, I can learn that. So I can learn about myself from observing my behaviour. And so, if we have this blind spot, as Nisbet and Wilson say, and we have trouble seeing it, then the solution is, observe your behaviour. So then what does our behaviour tell us about our true selves? I'll ask you a question. Are you honest? We'd probably like to think of ourselves as honest people. Most people um, are um, generally good people. There are a few bad people in the world, but on the whole, we're good, we're honest. Yet, psycho I mean, psychological research has investigated this, and psychologists often research what is blindingly obvious to everybody else. And what the research shows is, actually, people aren't honest. Most people are a little bit dishonest most of the time. And so, 
My question to you is, if you think about your behaviour, not, not what you think inside, but when you observe yourself, are you always honest? Do you always tell the truth? And if we observe our behaviour, then we see, no, we're not. In fact, you don't have to look inside yourself if you know what your standards are. I would expect, if you're like me, you'll find that your behaviour is inconsistent with your standards. And then if we think... If there's a God, and that God has standards, how high do you think God's standards are? Are they lower than yours? Because if each of us isn't living up to our own standards, we need to hope that God has standards that are even lower than ours. Otherwise, we're in trouble. And let's have a look at what Jesus said about God's standards. And if you read um, more extensively um, in um, the book that um, the friend of Jesus, Matthew, wrote, um, chapters 5 to 8, there's an extended sermon which records the words that Jesus said. And... Often, this so-called Sermon on the Mount is interpreted as, this is how we should live. If you read it, I think you'll probably find it's not how we should live, it's how we can't live. And I'll give you just a section here. It says, Jesus is saying to the people, you've heard it said in the past, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So it's not... My, my standards aren't low like yours. In fact, they're super high. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even, um, are not even um, the tax collectors doing that? So those are the people who were allied with the um, occupying forces at that time. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Then do not even the people who do not believe in God do that. And so Jesus then says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The standards that Jesus is saying God sets are not equal to ours. They're not lower than ours. They're actually higher than ours. So then, what do we do? If it's about we should look inside and be ourselves, what I've said is, well, just look. You don't have to look inside. You can look at your behaviour. And what... Um, another friend of Jesus wrote in 1 John, he said, if we claim to be without sin, so if we say 
that we always meet the standards that God sets. Well, we know we don't even meet the standards that we set ourselves. It says, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, if you're like me, that's self-evidently true. That I don't meet my standards. If God has higher standards than me, I don't meet those either. And the message of Jesus, then, is very simple. We can't meet God's standards. So what do we do? Try harder? No. Simple. It just says, if we confess our sins, then God is faithful and will forgive us our sins. And that's the message that Jesus has. We don't live up to our standards or God's standards. But all we have to do is confess our sins. And God will be faithful and forgive us our sins. But if you notice in between it, it says, he is faithful and he is also just. And so how can God forgive us? Well, that's a longer story that I haven't got time to tell you, which you'll hear about more in the um, Christianity Explored courses. But the short answer is that Jesus lived the perfect life for us and he took the penalty for our sins. And so where I'd like to end is there's an element of truth in the, um, that we should um, be ourselves. The Christian message is, yes, you can be yourself. It isn't acceptable to God, but that doesn't matter because Jesus is acceptable on our behalf. All we have to do is as the subscription, that, as the subscription, as the inscription that we see around uni that says, know yourself. So my challenge to you is, each time you walk past that, reflect inwardly, then think, this bit Wilson says, probably I can't do that. Look at your behaviour, say, I don't meet my standards, I don't mean... I don't meet God's standards either. And use that to reflect on that. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Okay, we're going to have some question time now. Um, so if I can ask you all to just turn to the person next to you for a few minutes. And if you have a question, maybe bring it up with that person. or. Um, bounce off ideas off each other, or if you don't have any questions, just say hi. Um, so there you go, <laughs> say hi. <laughs>
Okay. Have you had a good chat? <laughs> so did anyone have any questions that they'd like to ask Andrew? Anything at all? <laughs> Anything that you've discussed that even you've maybe thought you've... Oh, yep. Um, so if we start at uh, living up to our standards and God's, um, and so we then confess our sins and do that, um, what should we, how should we try and live then? Or should we just give up? The, if you confess your sins and God is faithful, it says, and it will, he will purify us from all unrighteousness. I think if we just reflect on that last part for a moment, that, it can, that part of the verse can point to where, where God intends us to travel. So, the, the reason, or a reason, why God forgives us our sins is that he would like a people to live with him forever. And so the purpose of forgiving people is not only for our cleanliness to help, but to help us or to turn us into a people who can live with him, who need to be without sin. And so the longer message um, of Jesus is not only forgiveness of sins now, but a purity that will make us acceptable to live with God forever after we die. Does that answer the question, yes, or did I... changes us so we can... Yes. Yep. So if we can't just be ourselves, I'm a psychologist, that's a philosophy question. <laughs> <laughs> Any philosophers? <laughs> well I, I, I suppose I, I would say thinking yeah, there's a broader question of who um who are we, but but we can know things about ourselves. Right? We do, like, if you reflect internally and you introspect, stuff's happening, right? And there are, there are our, our brains and minds do things and they produce things that we are aware of. So Nisbet and Wilson are saying that they, there, there are these, um, there are these um, cognitive products that we have. So if I ask you to think of a word, or if I say a word and say, what is the meaning of that, you are able to know that word's meaning. So, so it's not that there's an absence of anything, it's just if I was to say to you, um, if I say the word um, confess, what does that word mean? So what's the meaning of that word? Well, you'll go away into your mind and you'll look up what that is. But then I said, if I said to you, well, how, how do you store those words in your mind? Do you store them alphabetically? Or in what way? And you go, I don't know, I just think and it comes out. But, so, um, we, are, we are beings, we do things, our brains do things, it's just what Nisbet Wilson says is, 
You can introspect all you like, but you won't know whether you store words alphabetically or in um, semantic clusters, so they're clustered around meaning and so forth. But through research, we can uncover those sorts of things. So it's not that we are completely mysterious or unknowable, but that's what I was meaning by we can observe ourselves and we can learn. So, yes, we are, I am what you see in front of me, and I'm, I, I don't know that by observing myself. So I'm not answer to the question. Um, just, I was wondering if you would agree with the saying, you are, you're not what you think, you're what you, you are what you do. Oh gosh, say it again. You're, you're not what you think, you are what you, you do. So, like, you're, who you are is based on what you do, not what you, like, goes on in your head. And also how you change your sort of habits and what you do in order to change the person. Yeah, I suppose that, that resonates with me in that... I would say I'm truly, like, if I want to know really who I am, it's not what I say about myself, it's what I do that reveals myself to me, and sometimes uncomfortably. And it's also what other people tell me about me that I don't know, um, which I don't know if you've had this as well, that experience where you are thinking about something and you've, you know, you've takes weeks and weeks and weeks and you eventually tell people, yes, I finally decided to do this and they go, oh, yeah, we all, we all knew that weeks ago. <laughs> and you go, well, how did you know? I haven't made up my mind. They go, yeah, yeah, but they, this, so, so that's where I'd agree. There's something about if you, um, a talk is cheap in that sense. Mm -hmm. Sorry, question Sorry, if so, that quick. So, can our dreams? So, yeah, if, if you did exactly what your heart tells you to do, um, are those are they all working towards some broader purpose that you don't know about, or can they just be completely contradictory? Mm. Well, let's let's just think about that from our our own perspective, because if you took that sort of Walt Disney view that, well, I should just be true to myself and do that no matter what anybody else thinks. That works all very well as long as I don't have to live next to you. Because then as soon as you have something else and choose to live your way, which impacts on me, then we come into um, um, some sort of conflict. So, yes, yeah, so that is a problem with that worldview. I'm sorry, I think that's all we have time for. But if you still have questions, then you're welcome to join us outside and ask anyone who's wearing a What's Your Motto shirt um, or your friends who brought you along today.
Um, and unfortunately, Andrew also has to rush off uh, to some meetings. So, um, yeah, so just ask someone else. Well, yeah, a few minutes. There we go. Um, <laughs> so if you are interested in learning a bit more about um, Christianity, I guess, we run a meeting once a week called Christianity Explored, which is just a group of um, people exploring, wanting to learn more about Jesus, who meet once a week for 45 minutes and they talk about the Gospel of Mark, which was a um, description of Jesus' life. Um, so, yep, if you're interested in that, you should have received a response um, feedback form in when you walked through the doors. Um, if you're interested, could you click, um, could you tick um, that you're interested in learning more? Um, but if not, that's fine as well. But if you, if you are interested, we've got some boxes down the front here that you can um, put them in as well. Thank you. And so, yeah, it's been great having you all here um, today, and um, it's really great that we've been able to have this conversation, and I think it'd be good as well if we managed to keep it going. Um, so thank you, Andrew, for um, sharing with us, and thanks, everyone, for coming. I'll see you outside, hopefully. <laughs> thank you. Well done. Oh, and just quickly, there are other talks on during the week, so be sure to check them out as well.